Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games, the Bedrock blog, and I'm here with Joel Clark for another episode of Wuxia Workshop, and we're going to be talking about The Battle Wizard, a 1977 film directed by Bao Shu Li, starring Danny Lee and Tani Tien. Um, it's kind of a gonzo, extravagant, weird film. It's very difficult to describe, but it's based on the book Demigods and Semi-Devils, and what it kind of does is if you're familiar with that story, is there's a bunch of characters who have different storylines. It really just focuses on one of the characters, which was probably wise, because I can't imagine this movie tackling all of them. So, uh, so, so, so it sticks with the uh, uh, the the prince of, of of Dali Kingdom, right? That was the, uh, the the protagonist in this film, and he's sort of dealing with uh, the fallout of a of a of an affair his father had that leads to a revenge and a very tragic romantic storyline. Um, so, so Joel, this was your first time seeing it, and, and I already expressed my opinion, which was fairly lukewarm before, So, and I said I would reevaluate it on this viewing. Uh, but Joel, what was your reaction to this movie? Well, I gotta tell you, I absolutely love Battle Wizard. <laughs> this, this was exactly the kind, this is like such a, this is such a me movie. It really is. It's gonzo, you can never predict it. There's so much weird, crazy, entertaining stuff that happens constantly. This movie was a heavy metal circus of awesome shit happening. I loved it. Loved it. And it's very brief, which is another thing that I guess I really love in movies because it's like, what, 70 minutes long? It's only 70 it's, minutes. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, I don't know if that's the full runtime of the movie or if that's just what we were watching on the streaming service. I have it on DVD, and I think it was also 70 minutes on that, but I could be I wrong. I think it's just in and out. I don't know if the Shaw Brothers were like, well, we're out of money. We, let's just paint over some of these cells, call that special effects. I have no idea. But, like, you know what? It felt like a two-hour movie when I was watching it just because how dense it was with awesome things happening. I can't ever use the term awesome with this. This is this is the most tubular movie I have ever seen. It's freaking rad, bro. Now, what did you like the most about this movie? Oh, man. What did I like the most about Battle Wizard? Well, I fell in love with it the second that it began. Uh, because as soon as it started, there was a passionate love affair. And like the, it set up our plot just like a traditional Wuxia movie. The lady's husband comes in, the, 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 the guy fights him, and then he shoots a laser out of his finger and tears his legs off. I'm in love. Sold. Let's watch the rest of this movie. So that might not be the most impressive part of it, but that was the moment in the movie where I was like, tell me more, he, Battle Wizard. And he uses Yiying Finger, right? He uses the, the same yeah. technique that we saw in uh, Brave Archer, right? Because that... Yes, that, actually, that I was going to ask you about if that was the same one yeah. that, uh, that the, the Taoists used, because... They, they characterize it differently, but I think it's the same technique, the Yang finger. I'm pretty sure it is. I don't remember 100%. I don't want to fully commit to this because it's possible I'm missing some subtlety. But if I, I'm pretty sure that character was the former king or emperor of Dali Kingdom. And so it, it's their technique in that storyline. And, and the name is pretty much the same, I think. Unless, again, translation and transliteration can lead to confusion, so I want to be a little bit cautious. But it's also by the same author, so I'm pretty sure it's the same thing. Um, in fact, it might be interesting. I was thinking as we were watching this, it might be interesting if we, and I don't know how feasible this will be with both of our schedules, but to consider reading, doing a read-through of demigods and semi-devils um, might be an interesting concept. Um, but I'm still reading uh, that, that 
fantastic novel that uh, Deathblade sent me, the one that he wrote. So well, like, and I'm still working on it. It's a big yeah, novel in defense. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't want to. No, I, I was just thinking in the future sometime, but uh, or maybe watching a uh, a more thorough treatment of demigods and semi devils would be interesting. Yeah, um, I, I want, I want more. It's definitely left me wanting more. Because you only got one it. character, and frankly, he's not the. You know, they're they're. I, I mean, like his story is interesting, and a lot of very cool things happen, and they get most of that in there. But uh, but there's another character who's like the head of beggar sect that has a really cool storyline as well, and you know they're just. I, huh? I always love beggar sect when they show up. Well, and this is like a really good version. This is like a super cool exploration of beggar sect in my in my opinion, because um, you kind of get to see a lot of the po- politics going on in this in in the organization, um, which you know because because you always you know in in uh. uh in the, in the Condor Hero series, you, you get a sense of it, but you really sort of see it more in uh, in uh, demigods and semi devils. Uh, so, so yeah, so um, so. What's your so, favorite? Part? I, don't even, I don't even know if that's my favorite part. There's so much to appreciate in this movie. There really is. Like the guy with the hook hand. Every time he shows up, I'm happy because um, he's this weird monster guy with fake monster teeth, and he tears people apart with this, this hook arm. So he's wonderful. They fight a gorilla at one point. They fight a giant red python, and the guy drinks its blood to become a superhuman. There's so much to love, guys, for real. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this a lot more this time. Now, I was still kind of... I was fuzzy while I was watching it. I wasn't in the best state of mind to watch it, but I watched it, and I, I enjoyed it a lot more than my first viewing of it. And I think it's because I realized, oh, there's like a lot of wuxia goodness in this movie that I just wasn't paying attention to. Like the... The, the Mu Wan Ching character played by Tani Tian is unbelievable. I, I, I love her character. And Tani Tian is one of my favorite actresses in these movies. And she does a really outstanding job as this character. There's also just... I, I think Danny Lee as the prince is great. I thought he did a, a really terrific job. And he's and, a very big man. And there's a nice little role with Teresa Haping as well. But what really I like about it is the way that they handle the... Um, the what do you call it? the the Romeo and Juliet type not not Romeo and Juliet but the, but the there's like a tragic love story element to this where where Danny Danny Lee's character Prince Tuan Yu falls in love with uh, not fall in love but but he, he promises to marry Muan Ching because he saw her face or something and it turns out that they're brother and sister and 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 the way that it handles it I I, I think is is really effective and. And it, and I, and I also I, I like I, I like that the that that the the initial thing we see at the start of the movie where the guy shoots off the other guy's legs and he has an affair with his wife it leads to all of these consequences that he has to kind of that, that they're all a product of his actions right all, all the stuff that happens is is yeah, a byproduct seems like a total bastard of that opening scene but I spent a lot of rooting for him at the end of the movie because of how much him and his kids had to go through by the end of it. Uh, the other guy turned into a real villain, so I, I think that uh, this movie has kind of an invective against revenge, like, programmed into it, because I really wind up voting for the guy who's turned, who turned out to be kind of noble at the end. It, it is funny how it does that, how, you, how it, in, when, when that opening scene, scene starts, you're a little more sympathetic to the guy who's on the receiving end of the affair, right? But... Uh, and, 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 the, and, the, uh, and the king of Dolly Kingdom... He, or the future king of Dolly Kingdom, he, he, he looks not so great in that scene. He looks like he might be a bit of a jerk. And his wife, too, is, is not, 
you know, she she just kind of marches into the scene, and it it, it, it it's a it's a multi layered revenge because it's not just the guy who loses its legs his legs, it's also his wife that ends up getting left behind because she has a baby with this prince who just wanted to sleep with her, and mm-hmm. and the baby becomes the Mu Wan Ching character who she trains from a very early age to, uh, you know, who the incredibly inappropriate named Bone Cutting Sword. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I, that might, again, trans, transliteration, translation issues. Um, it, it's a cool weapon, though. It's a bone, and you can fire, it fires like, I, in the movie, they look like, like ray blasts from Star Wars, almost, but I think they were meant to be little blades or something. Yeah, I, I think that maybe that the translation should have been something like the, the bone that shoots blades, Rather than the bone cutting sword, unless the, unless the bone encasing the weapon is part of the motif, because those blades cut through bone. Yeah, maybe because they do. I mean, like they hit a guy to a wall at one yeah. point. That thing is dynamite. Yeah. I love that. Like, I don't know, or it could be like the bone blade that does cut. You know, like bone cutting in that sense. Yep. So it might be that it's it, it translates awkwardly into the way we, we phrase things in English. So I don't know. Um, but I don't really care. Because the second you whip out, you say, I have the bone cutting blade. You whip out a bone. And I'm like, oh, okay, so it's a bone that cuts bones? And it shoots at me? That's when I'm sold on the weapon. I'm like, okay, I love this thing. <laughs> this is everything I wanted a gonzo weapon. Now, what did you think of the uh, of the villain in this one? Ooh, it's hard to like pin down a single villain. You mean the guy with the with the iron legs, the the yellow man, I think is what they call him, yeah. or something like that. The man in yellow robes. Yeah, the man in uh, yellow robes. He, he's an interesting. He's actually a surprisingly sophisticated villain because, uh, like you said, you sympathize with him in the opening scene, but he becomes so consumed with revenge that he becomes monstrous, both yeah. in his form and his actions and his motivation, to the point where like he's. Killing the woman, the, the the daughter of the woman he had previously been married to, you know, just because it's part of his his glorious revenge. So he becomes really loathsome, and I like that. I like when a movie is able to kind of make me one eighty on my own feelings about something. And also, he's got a bunch of cool powers. And then when he dies, he he dies in this combination of Wicked Witch of the West and that guy who melted at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, it's this crazy psychedelic bloodbath of him just melting because of this horrible stuff that's done to him. So there's nothing to dislike about this bad guy. He's wonderful all the way through. Well, and the, um, and, and, and I think becoming monstrous is part of the point because if I, if I understand correctly, uh, demigods and semi-devils, the, the title refers to the, um, the eight legions from Buddhism, the, uh, the, 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 the Diva, the Naga, the Yaksa, the Asura, the Garuda. That, that's like the, the, the primary characters in the book are meant to be reflections of those creatures from mythology. So um, I'm not sure in the specific case of the guy with the iron legs what, you know, if that, if that, you know, what he was supposed to be. But, but you can sort of see there's, there's a monster. He, it's a monstrous entity because he, those legs create a very bird-like effect, right? Like I, I could sort of... What was that? I said, yeah, he really has a bird um, vibe to him. Yeah, so I so I was wondering if maybe he was supposed to be like the Garuda or not. I don't I don't know how all the characters line up so, in Demigods and Semi Devils. 
I think he was meant to be that or it was like a uh, what was it? like a frog or something there was some kind of like, yeah. yeah but yeah he had like a weird lobster like claw I, I yeah um, he, he's a real weird character um, very weird and, and yet, weird is not in his name. No, the guys that live in the forest, they're the weird brothers. That guy, he's totally normal. That's totally normal, Frank. Hi, Frank. You're totally... People all look like that all over the place. The term weird is very strange. What did you think of the martial arts action in this movie? Did you like the, the fight sequences? Or you... Yeah, I mean, they lean pretty heavily on their, their kung fu power, which, again, is pretty pretty old special effects. This is, like, a, what, a 70s movie or early 80s or something? It's like, oh, the is, like, you know... Cells. Yeah, it's a 77 film. Yeah. So, like, they do lean on that stuff pretty strong. And I did want the gorilla to be a lot bigger and scarier than he was. Like, because when the man eating gorilla shows up, it's just a guy in a gorilla costume, and it's a little stupid. Uh, if, they made, if they made it to make him a little bigger and more frightening, or uh, did a Jaws thing where you really see him or something, yeah, that would have been more effective, I think. Yeah, but the giant snake looked really convincing. Yeah, that was what, totally sold on the snake. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say the man in the ape costume did not really, didn't really succeed that well, but the giant snake, I thought, especially compared to the giant snake for Bay of Archer, which looked terrible, th- this oh, was a really yeah, convincing yeah. practical effects snake. I mean, I... The head was moving and everything, and it didn't feel like the actor was doing all the movements for it, like it did with the other snake from Brave Archer. Uh, yeah, it so, felt heavy too. Like yeah. the way he acted with it, it seemed like it had the weight of a giant snake. And, and it was well constructed. It actually looked like a real giant snake. It didn't. It didn't have any rough parts or patches that were were uh, you know. Uh, difficult on the eyes, so so I, th- I thought yeah. that the the snake was. Like it looked like a living animal, which was really cool. Yeah. So yeah, also at one point, at one point, a, a horse falls off a cliff, and I guess they actually got a horse model that looked exactly like that horse and pushed it off because it looks convincingly. Its, it's legs aren't moving, so it's clearly a model, but like it looks convincingly like that horse falling off a cliff. That was another good little practical effect. Well, and also, I, I mean, I there, I don't know what the state of um, animal protection was at the time. In this, in the place this was made too, so it could have been the real horse. I don't know. I mean, I don't want. To... I, it, it, I don't believe this was a real horse, but it was an effective practical okay. effect. I might eat my words on that. If that was a real horse. I'm going to dislike. I, it. I will say, if you do watch these movies, one thing to be aware of is you sometimes do see real animals get hurt. That is something that crops up in these kind of films. Um, I get that. Yeah. I, remember, I'm a guy that watches pink flamingos without flinching. So, what's pink? Gotta... Which one is that? It's a John Waters one. Oh, 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 like the, uh, was that, one of the Divine movies? chickens that they do die on camera. They then later fed them to the cast, so. Yeah, I, I've not actually seen that, so. Uh, it's worth the watch, kind of. Well, you're much like a racer head. I'd say watch it once before you die, but maybe on a night you don't need to sleep well. <laughs> okay, these night these days I could use every good night of rest I can get, but but we'll see. Maybe I'll watch it early in the day. And it'll it'll nullify any effect. Um, yeah, I don't want chicken for a while. <laughs> now, what did you think of that weird Skittles melting effect of the villain when he died at the end? Oh, I love that so much. That was a great effect. There were some that really hit. Like that was one that, like, I was watching that. Like, I can't believe how good this looks. This is freaking amazing. It was it was like the Indiana Jones death 
uh, from Raiders of the Lost Ark, but like three years or so. When did Raiders of the Lost Ark come out? Was that 81 or 80? Or 82? Ooh. 81? It was before Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. Um, and, and again, this is also a movie I think is, uh, uh, you know, you see a lot of the things, a lot of the sort of, Things that are in, in in stuff like Star Wars in this movie, right? And I just looked it up. Raiders of the Lost Ark was eighty one, but well, but, you have the "I am your father" moment. Yeah, the, you have "I am your father" and "She is your sister." You have both of those things in this movie, right? Like that's yeah. you know so. Um, you get that at the at the female character because it's I, "I am your father," he is your brother. But I mean, like aside from gender yeah. reversing it, it's the same scene. Yeah. And yeah. Like, exactly. Exactly. He, he even demonstrates his power to use the Force because he's shooting all the candles. I mean, like, it's right there. Yeah, no, no. It's, okay. No, no, I was just going to say, like, when we, when, we, when we did our read-through of Return of Condor Heroes, we were commenting on this a lot. I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm very skeptical that Lucas was directly influenced by, by Wuxia just because it doesn't, you know, it, it wasn't exactly... Uh, like he would have access to the books at that time, right? And that's not and, as available. Yeah, it wasn't as available then as it is now. Although it's but it he, was available in some limited form. But he might have seen some of it in some of these kung fu movies, right? Like some of it might have trickled into Lucas's conscience. But I don't know. But but whether it did or not, I just think that it's kind of neat that you you can you can see so many of the same things that we love about Star Wars in. The, the the Lewis Cha material in particular. Um, so so you know so so we see it here and it and again it's not done with the it's not done with the 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 tone or the atmosphere of Star Wars. It's a totally different kind of movie, but it's still present and it still has a lot of emotional weight when it is unveiled. Do you know what I mean? So you know that that's I think one of the things that is is good about a movie like this is as crazy as it gets you still have these moments that can have this kind of an impact on you as a viewer where, you know, the, you know, the, the, the characters have to deal with, you know, fairly, uh, stunning revelation about their ancestry. And yeah. And actually there's a lot of very moving, like surprisingly emotionally moving parts on this. Uh, one of the scenes that struck out to me was the poison sucking scene, which we saw something like that and come drink with me too. And, I, the, the thing you said about it then in Come Drink With Me where it was kind of like there was like a sexual undercurrent to it is a huge overtone in this. Yeah. Like he is on top of her pinning her down and just planting his mouth right near the nape of her neck and sucking it out and she is writhing in what can only be described as well, I'm not going to describe it's it. Obvious. It's obvious. It's very blatant. It's it's impossible it's, not to see it. It is in your face. I, but I and feel like, like oh, oh, Go ahead. I just said it was well acted. I, I, yeah, it was, and again, Tanny Tien is very, very good in these kind of roles. I, I, I think that uh, in these kind of films, that act, um, I, even when, even in Come Drink with Me, where it's not, where it's done in a very uh, innocent kind of way, I feel like that act is still intimate. Do you know what I mean? It still sort of has this sexual connotation to it. Um, and and, and and you know I think that's why you know why why they were playing it up in this in this particular case, but uh, because I mean you know again this is a genre where you know character like there I, there's 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 one story where I think a character tickles a woman's foot and then she 
you know, is, you know, tries to tell him that he has to marry her. Do you know what I mean? Like, like that's the level of uh, conservatism when it comes to physical interaction between people, right? So, um, so, 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 so the reason this one keeps coming up all the time in these movies is because the person is going to die, and if they don't, if they don't uh, break that social barrier, what was that? So they don't breach that social barrier. They do face a really terrible consequence. Yeah, yeah. So and it kind of it kind of does two things. It, it it heightens the drama and tension around the the you know the 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 threat of the poison, but also there's this sort of you know like do we dare to break this you know uh, uh, propriety code to. Uh, and it- there's no going back. It really seems like if you suck poison out of somebody, that's basically a marriage proposal. Yeah. This is the second time we've seen it. Yeah. And, like, I think the idea is that if you get to this point where you're breaching that intimacy, you're basically saying you're married. <laughs> yeah, or at the very least that you've... It, it's like you've been intimate in some way. Like, like, like in this case, the the female character, Muan Ching, she was insisting that he marry her after, she had, after he had helped... Uh, helped heal her because he had obviously seen her and so you know that you know i i i believe that she uh would have been just as insistent with the uh with the poison sucking so um but yeah was, i don't know you it, 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 it's 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 a thing that i think you see a lot in these kind of movies so just worth commenting on but um what what did you feel about the um the way that the hero acquires his powers in this one. Oh, um, it's definitely unusual. It's a lot more comic book pulpy than you usually see in Wuxia. Because usually in Wuxia, the, the implication of the understanding is that these people have trained in these ridiculously brutal training regimes for decades before they get to this point. And in this case, this guy's a total father. He, like, he reminded me of me a lot, because yeah. he they try to legitimately train him at one point, and he totally fails. He's like, nope, I suck, sorry, I'm not going to do it. And then they foreshadow that, oh, hey, if you drink the blood of this one super powerful snake that eats antlers and ginseng, then you get to be a superhuman. That totally happens if you get a Kung Fu style because you drink its blood. And he's like, really? Well, I guess I could do that. And he does later on. He drinks its blood. I still feel, though, that it wasn't a cheat. Because unlike getting struck with lightning or being born on an alien planet, he doesn't have to wrestle a giant snake to the ground and then drink its blood underwater. Because he does, he wrestles it underwater so it can't escape, and then bites into it like a vampire and drinks all of its blood. That's still a pretty beast thing to do, yeah. you know? And granted, he gets kind of an unfair power curve, but eh, whatever. I think it's also interesting that he starts out as a character that has no martial arts, and he's, he's, he's much more of a scholar and more of like a good Buddhist. That's sort of his one of his central characters. Yeah, he quotes Buddhists a lot, yeah. which is fun. And so he's, he's trying to be a good Buddhist, and I, I think that uh, um, it, I don't know it. It, it uh, on the one hand, him acquiring the powers like that, it's a little bit of a cheat. And in certain movies, I would say it's kind of cheap. But in this one, it accelerates the plot so rapidly, and it enables us to have this character who's really kind of a uh, sort of useless. And and that's important early on. Like you, you need him to be useless for the movie to work the way it does. And then very rapidly it can just shift into a movie where he's in more of a hero role. So I, I yeah, and he's still a, he a this still a learning curve too is new powers, which he has to master. So I don't know, I, I'm I'm down with it. Uh, yeah. also 
And I was thinking about it in game terms with, with uh, like how I would do it in Tanchang, because you learn techniques in Tanchang in unusual ways. And I was I was thinking, like, I could put this right in a game where there's a monster that if you kill it, you have the option to just, like, learn a technique if you have the karma to pay for it. And then you can look at those previous scenes where he was getting his ass kicked constantly, and all the heroic stuff he did under fire before then, as things that were getting him karma for being a good Buddhist and being a good scholar and doing the right thing. So we actually had a bunch of XP banked up, and then you just happened to get the opportunity to learn a bunch of techniques. And I, and I guess now we're going to be talking about the gaming aspect of it, uh, just to transition, because you, you, you brought that up. I think, I think that's a really cool way to look at a movie like this, where you sort of... Because you're not looking at something that's a combat mechanic. You're looking at something that's like, okay, there's stuff going on in the story. What structures in the game, or what tools in the game can I use that would maybe either encourage that or would would reflect what's going on in the cosmology of, of the movie? Because these are movies where there is a cosmology and you can sometimes see the cause and effect of things like karma. And so if a game has anything like that, this again, it's, it's a useful thing to sort of keep in mind when you're watching it if you're planning on running a game. Um, and, 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 and that would be, I think, a, a prime example of, you know, he's... Uh, he, he's a he's a he's a Buddhist character, and he seems to be, in a way, getting rewarded for his for his for being a good Buddhist. Maybe he's been, you know, uh, you know, he, he's accrued a lot of merit, and so that's why he's stumbling into these powerful abilities. For example, so I, I think I think it's definitely interesting. Maybe that's why the villain is you know has no legs. <laughs> you know, like maybe maybe he he had all these uh, you know. Uh, 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 you know, sins yeah. that he... What was that? Like karmic debts and sins that he yeah. paid off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, like that's that's a thing that I made sure to make a rule for because it's, it, you see that so much in this kind of movies yeah. where you have a bunch of sins you commit and then you get your comeuppance. That, that's in Western movies too. But like, I like having but that as a mechanic that you as a, as a GM can reach into and say, okay, let's just... Let's let's spend some of your sins yeah. and buy a consequence for you. That's neat. But there is a key difference because in Buddhism, you you know, sins don't go away the way they go away in say Christianity, right? So, uh, so in a lot of Western movies, there's there's often an ability, a, a way to wipe the slate clean fairly quickly. I think, um, you know, my wife's Buddhist, and so you know, a lot, you know, something that you'll sometimes hear or see is. Uh, if somebody if somebody suffers some kind of illness or problem or difficulty, that that the that this comes from something that the person had done either in this life or in a previous life. Do you know what I mean? It's some sort of karmic debt being repaid, and so you know that's you know again if that in and and again this was a really quick movie. So how much of this is us reading into it versus how much of it was really there? Sure, we're not I, I think sure. that where we're taking, I mean, especially with the guy losing his legs, I feel yeah. like that's a clean cause effect. Yeah. You don't have to have Destiny intervening with yeah. that, but it's fun to think about, especially yeah. whenever you're you're making stuff like this for your own home games. You know, thinking about it in terms of like, well, how do the characters see this? Do they yeah. see that as a comeuppance? Do they see that as something that's necessary, yeah. or is this just misfortune and bad luck? Like, how do they interpret it? And in that interpretation, is there a mechanic that we can use to represent it? That's always fun. Well, and what I like about that is there's all there's often a divide between you know between uh, when you're trying to emulate a genre between emulating it and you know uh, 
not worrying about the internal cause and effect, just emulating it, right? But some yeah, players are... Cons- I'm sorry? I've seen that too. Yeah. And really, you can kind of come at it from, do I want to emulate the dramatic tropes and yeah. the beats, or do I want to emulate the reality they exist in? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're two different approaches. I don't think either one is worse or better, but they appeal to different sensibilities. And my sensibilities tend to reside more in the realm of emulating stuff that's internally consistent and puts you in a world that's governed by the physics of the genre rather than worrying so much about uh, plots and beats and things like that. If only yeah. because I'm just maybe less, less literarily minded. You know, you know, I'm not as... I'm not, I'm, it's not really my strong suit. So I tend <laughs> to favor more, uh, more genre physics emulation. And what I like about this approach is is you're taking the cosmology and you're making it a real thing in the game, and that produces a lot of the genre elements, but it doesn't do it in a way where you're having resources being spent by the players that maybe their characters don't handle. Or Do you know what I mean? It's stuff that can all kind of be handled by the GM running the world, for example. So mm-hmm. so I, fi- I find that... Uh, I don't know. I, I I I quite like that. You could you could do it the other way too. You could put it in the player's pocket. You can give him effective. Oh, go. Even Walking Heroes of Ogregate, like you do, you do have metaphysics that exists in that world. Like I remember whenever you use a what was it, a cathartic technique uh, that yeah. what creates like disharmony in your soul or something. Like that. Yes. That how that works? Yeah. You might be able to get possessed by a monster or something. Yeah. That's a real fact of existence that these characters have to deal with. That we in the physical like you know. Everyday non-magical world don't have to deal with, and yeah. that metaphysics is some is a place that I found as a designer that you can like you can take some of those tropes and some of those things that characters say they don't have a physical analog in a real world, and so make something that isn't necessarily like a player looking at the plot kind of mechanic, but still make something that is kind of functionally similar to that. Yeah, but like in the sense of a, acquiring karma for good deeds and that being your experience points. Yeah, like. That's that's a literalization of the metaphysics of that world. Just like whenever you, you use a technique in Wandering Heroes and you, you do it cathartically, you're kind of inviting that kind of demonic infestation in. Yeah. It's a real thing to get to well, deal with. I and, like that a lot. Well, you know where that came from, actually? That came from uh, when I first encountered the idea of fire deviation of the meridians when you're uh, you know practicing internal martial arts. I misunderstood. I misunderstood the translations on a lot of the shows that I was watching, translated that as demonic possession, and so oh, it's a so, Western analog of a yeah. So that's how. So I very quickly realized that mistake because it was explained to me by somebody. But I decided it was a good mistake that I wanted to keep in the game because it added to the setting. It made the setting different. Do you know what I mean? It made the setting set like yeah. yeah so so that's why I kept that. Um, it's also why in the beginning of the book, uh, if you look at the t- if you look at the title under the Chinese language, it's all wonky. It's like a really strange. It's like you know, heroes of the wandering plain, blah blah blah. So, like some really weird translation of the title. And the reason was to emphasize that this was a game made through translation, where it was me as a fan of a genre, where I was receiving all of this genre stuff. Through translation, and so I I wanted that to be clear in the in the in the game, but um, but yeah, I think uh, I think that uh, you know, stuff like that is obviously great. I think also some of the powers here would be 
you know, very easy to 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 to, to rip right into a game, right? Like, oh yeah, I, I am so you're gonna see this stuff in some Tian Shang supplement at some point down the line. Be like, aha, I remember that conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah and some of them are just so they're so great, they're so iconic. You know, they they maybe are a little bit too iconic because I mean, well, at, I'm certain at the point where they were written or created in this movie, like th- th- this this is literally a movie from the '70s. Nowadays. I think you'd see someone pointing their palm out and fire shooting at it and be like, oh, that's from Street Fighter, or that's from Mortal Kombat, or that's from this anime or that anime. It's like, well, okay, yeah, it is. But before that, it was it was the, the what was it, the Red Dragon palm or whatever. Well, the one that I wanted to talk about, actually, is the uh, is the snakes that Linger used, because we had discussed oh this during... The we previous. gotta talk about the snakes. Yeah, tell yeah. me about the snakes, Brendan. So, so she has snakes that are her friends that she has all kinds of control over, and she has such control over them that she can have them burrow into people's bodies and lay baby snakes, I guess, and just it, it just infests the person. And she has total. It, it's the it's one of the most insidious things. It, it oh. and it's great because her character otherwise is so delightful, right? Her other, her character is. Is like like compared to Mu Wu Chang or oh, sorry uh, Mu Wang Ching, she's she's really friendly and playful, right? She's you know, uh, but she yeah, yeah, but she but she does this terrible thing with the snakes, and and you had a really great mechanic that we were kind of discussing for how that might work. It was being applied to something else. Um, I'm sorry. The, the imbalances, yeah, and actually the, the, our conversation is going full circle here because you were just talking about how. The chi imbalances got uh, retranslated into demonic possession. Well, chi imbalances got directly translated in uh, Legends of the Wu and its predecessor weapons of the gods because those are Chinese games. And they, I don't think they were actually written by uh, Chinese sources, but like they're they're from a, a Chinese manhua, and uh, Legends of the Wu was like the interpretation of that. So the imbalances in that game are based on your internal cultivation. If you use a fire style, you imbalance yourself towards fire. And so you, you naturally have like a way you have to act or you, you take you know penalties or it could make you look demonic in the case of this movie like you, know, you see the characters who become monstrous mm-hmm. same thing that's, that's the same kind of basic seed and I took those same things and used them in in this version of the game in Chan Chang and so yeah in, in the case of something like poison or in infesting someone with tiny snakes that are riding through their body you can manifest that as an imbalance which is you either have to deal, like, you have to either act out and deal with the physical roleplay consequences of being infested with tiny pin snakes, or you have to take a huge negative to compensate for it as, as your actions try to do that for you. And that's just like this little effect, that this little satisfaction that's just dinged onto your character. So it's very modular and very easy to, to design for that. It's very easy to design as a GM for that, too. Like, so if on the fly you have something crazy like, oh, I have an NPC that can control snakes, yeah. and you're like, I've got a great idea. Immediately you can turn that into an imbalance and have to either have the players deal with it, or, you know, knowing and the players you'll probably have, is you'll, they'll find a way to use it against their enemies. And, the, and that's the heart of what rulings over rules is, is that is is identifying the tool that is available to you creatively so that you can make something that was just established in the game a reality, right? Like, you know, yes. somebody's trying to do this. Okay, what tool do I need to use to make that function? And what's the what's the and and so it's and the reason why it's a rulings over rules situation is rather than having to look everything up strictly by the book, sometimes it's much easier if you can just make a straight line to one of your tools like that one and just pull it right in for that purpose. 
that's the uh, you know so so I, I thought it was a beautiful example of that when we were we kind of came it, up in it, conversation. There, um, there's a reason I stole that mechanic. Uh, it I think it was originally designed by Jenna Morin, Dr. Jenna Morin, who is famous for a lot of very out there, outlandish game design in the TTRPG community. But she's a genius, and that was one of the coolest things I ever encountered when I first saw it. So. Is that uh, the what's, the name, what's of, the name of her big game? I, I, you mentioned it a lot, so I just want to get that. Novellus is her big one. I think she's more focusing on Chubo's Marvelous no, Witch Magic that's Engine. The, but it's, that's the one that you like. You like the Chubo's book. What's it called? Yeah, that's why I have a hardback for her. Uh, so, what's the full title? Uh, Chubo's Marvelous Wish Granting Engine. It's very peculiar. <laughs> it's good, though. We'll have, good. we'll have to play both of those games at some um, point. Well... <laughs> If I can ever figure out exactly how to do that, then sure. I, I ran all of one session of Chubos, and it was very, it was very different. Like you, you played Amber Diceless at some point, right? I imagine you encountered that game. Yeah, but I've, I've never played time. Diceless games actually. There, you have to understand. I come from the era when we like. Now I'm very intrigued because I've met people who are fans of Diceless games. But back in the day, getting people to play Diceless games was like really impossible. Well. I mean, it it, it sounds like we made fun. Like, Diceless was kind of like saying, you know, you had no balls. Do you know what I mean? Like, that, excuse my language. But that was like, that was the yeah, that was the implication yeah. in the way that people talked about Diceless games. It was like, who... If they actually read uh, Chuck Wujic's amazing writing in the Chronicles of Amber RPG, they would have eaten their words. Because that game has some of the most, like, savage, bloodthirsty prose I've ever read in an RPG. I... Uh, I I am, intense, I am aware. Bro. I am aware of this uh, as it's beca- as I've learned more from people that are into into the diceless thing. It's just that at the time, you know, I wasn't on the internet. I only was you know surrounded by you know my immediate gaming group. And diceless was I mean, we we played a lot of games, but diceless was not something that we did. So I haven't played that. But um, uh, but to bring it back to to what you were saying, what I'm curious about is now now that you mentioned this. Why are you so into this game if you have such difficulty running it? If 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 is that am I correct in is you that know, a correct? You assumption? got it. That's actually the experience a lot of people have had with it. It has a it, Jenna's prose is very effervescent and it's difficult to nail down exactly what she's talking about as far as the you do this then this happens of the rules. Okay. And the reason it's hard is because there's a lot of assumptions that she has written into the rules, and if you've followed her work from Chubos and the early Exalted days all the way up, those those assumptions are much more clear to you. But oh, the reality is she has a way of running that focuses on the conversation that's happening at the table, which is kind of one of the holy trinity of how role-playing games work, because you have rules, which is a very important part, and then you have the kind of shared imaginary space, which is a very important part. But you also have that kind of meta level where you're talking about the game happening outside of the game. Yeah. And of and the reason I know about that third one is because I realized while while running Chubos that that's what she wanted me to be looking at and and using as the core processor of the game is everyone talking about it at the table. Okay. That's it. That's an interesting thing to lean design on, and it's not clear from the text. Once you run it, that becomes clear. Uh, it can, <laughs> but. But yeah, it's it's difficult to parse from the text that that is what you're supposed to be doing because she sort of assumes you're already doing it. Well, 
I, I still think it might be a good idea for us to try to run it. You know, try, uh-huh. try you know, I, I, I would at least like to, and I think Amber Diceless is something we should maybe consider. Uh, uh, Amber Diceless is great. I, I, the DNA of Amber Diceless is in all of her stuff, but I think she had a different experience with it than I did. So, I mean, that that's possible. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. One, one of these days I would like to do that. I, 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 every so often I make an effort to go out and try a variety of different games and I'm sort of getting into another one of these phases where I want to do that. Uh, I sort of do it in blocks. And, and Amber is one that I keep meaning to try and I just never do. So uh, it, it shares space on my shelf with Jubo, so we can do them both. No problem. Now how easy is the... Uh, I know I'm getting a little bit off topic, but how easy is the uh, Amber Diceless to obtain these days? The, the hardback, it's kind of tough, but there are a couple of retro clones. Uh, there's Lords of Olympus, which is the, the same, I think it's almost the same game, but it's uh, Greek Gods. Then there's uh, Lords of Gossamer Shadow, I think is the other one, which is a bit more of a direct retro clone. I have the actual physical book. Uh, the, the sequence of events that led to me getting that is pretty unrepeatable, but actually trying to get your, your hands on a physical copy is kind of tough nowadays, it's unfortunate. Okay. I've, I've heard good things about Lords of Gossamer and Shadow. I, think I, I imagine it's about the same. I'm pretty sure I have a PDF of, Lord of the Lords of Olympus, which I, I remember mainly reading for the flavor, and I didn't quite absorb the rules, but maybe I should go back and and, and read through if, if they're especially if they're that close to Amber. Um, I, as I recall, they're very close. I remember that... Uh, like, they share forums. I think the, the, the designer of that game shares forums with the official Amber forums, as I recall. Yeah, so. yeah, no, that's true. That's definitely true. RPG Pundit at the RPG site has... Um, uh, Is he the one who did that? Jesus. What? I didn't know he was the one who designed that. I didn't think about it, but you're right. I think it is RPG Pundit. Who made yeah, yeah, that no, it's an RPG Pundit game. Um, and I think, um, uh, was it Precise Media uh, uh, published it? Uh if I if I got any of that wrong, I do apologize because I shouldn't know that. Um, but uh, but but uh, but yeah. So it's um, it's it's a uh, you know we'll, we'll have to we'll have to give that a shot. We'll have to give that a shot. You're here first, folks. Um, so is there anything to turn to turn into a game out of this movie? Because I think we could probably go on for several hours talking about what you could do with this movie in terms of games. I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't catch the first part of that, Joel. And I oh, apologize, exactly. there was a slight was, interruption just now, so if anybody heard sounds, that's my fault, uh, but go ahead. Is there anything else we want to do as far as the game discussion of this movie? Because I feel like we go on for a while about it. Um, I mean, I think, I think well, we're coming up on the 40-minute mark, and I think we've covered most of the stuff that we, we need to cover. And we should quit or ahead, because... People don't don't realize this, but I was actually rather foggy when this started, and I'm 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 wary that that we might start wandering into territory where all where the fogginess will become more apparent. So um, I th- I feel like we we got a, we got a pretty solid discussion despite that. So uh, unless there's anything you wanted to add, uh, no. I, the reason I said that is because I'm kind of wrapped up at that point. I'm like, well, it's a full full disclosure. Right before this, we we ran or I ran a, a playtest of Dan Chang for Brendan uh, his, his his mates. So this is uh, what is this our third hour into this? Yeah, yeah. Kind of no, that, it, it'll 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 suck the life out of you. It'll definitely suck the life out of you. So uh, so yeah. So we'll we'll end it here. And this Friday on Wusha Weekend, we are going to be talking about um, Raid Redemption. And I believe the week after that is when we do Lady Snowblood. I'm not 100% sure, but I know we got Lady Snowblood coming up. And, uh, and yeah, so 
Uh, and, and also uh, on the Metal Workshop podcast, we're going to be doing the uh, second part of the 20 essential metal albums, which we're still sort of working our way down the list. And, uh, and I'm sure we're going to disappoint everybody because there's no way you can come up with a list of 20 albums and everybody's going to agree with you. And I'm not even sure I agree with me at this point. It's, 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 it's a really difficult thing to sort of limit yourself to these 20 albums that you... That's, that's quite a limitation, man. Because I can think of 20 albums probably in 20 seconds. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, where I'm like, oh, this is totally metal. You've got... But yeah, you fill up that list quick. Yeah, well, it gets filled up quick and then... Then you have to, you start asking yourself, well, okay, I like this album, but is it essential, right? Is it is it you know that's right. the so uh, and that's oh god yeah I don't envy you I don't envy you the twenty that's that's a rough number yeah if you did hundred maybe it'd be okay but twenty hundred would have been man a hundred would have been very easy because then you have a lot of space for error do you know what I mean but like twenty it's like oh man does this does this one choice represent the entirety of death metal right you know it, it's a it's a difficult thing to do. So, so anyways, uh, we will head out and we will talk to you later. <laughs>